Welcome to the podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Marietta, where we are committed to changing lives with faith, hope, and love. We're so glad you are here. Our second reading is from the Old Testament book of Jeremiah, chapter 18, verses 1 through 11. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, Come, go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. The vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel, as seemed good to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me. Can I not do with you, O house of Israel, just as this potter has done, says the Lord? Just like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. At one moment I may declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it. But if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will change my mind about the disaster that I intended to bring on it. And at another moment, I may declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it. But if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will change my mind about the good that I had intended to do to it. Now, therefore, say to the people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, thus says the Lord, look, I am a potter shaping evil against you and devising a plan against you. Turn now, all of you, from your evil way and amend your, way, amend your ways and your doings. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You might have heard that Jeremiah was a bullfrog. You might have heard that. That's not the whole story. Before Jeremiah was a bullfrog, Jeremiah was a prophet. And I don't just mean in the Bible, I mean in the lyrics of the hit song by Three Dog Night. Jeremiah originally was a prophet. That song was written as a joke by Hoyt Axton. He was a songwriting legacy. His mother had written Heartbreak Hotel for Elvis. Axton had a catchy tune and he wanted the band to hear his melody. So he came up with a few lines of complete gibberish. And those lines began with the words, Jeremiah was a prophet. He was a good friend of mine. Everyone hated the word prophet. Everyone hated it, so Jeremiah became a bullfrog, and the rest is history. So if you were ever wondering what that song is about, now you know it's a song about nothing. The song, whose real title was Joy to the World, after its refrain, might be the only time that the name Jeremiah has been associated with joy. Because Jeremiah was a prophet, and none of the prophets are very cheerful. Jeremiah, however, takes gloom and doom to the next level. He's known as the weeping prophet, and maybe he should be. Jeremiah lived in Jerusalem in 600 B.C., and Jerusalem in 600 B.C. is a dangerous, scary place to live. Let's back up. In 1000 B.C., King David arises. He unites the nation of Israel. David passes the throne to his son Solomon. His son Solomon passes the throne to his son Rehoboam, and Rehoboam is a terrible king. He's such a bad king that he ticks off the entire northern half of his country. 
and they succeed from the union. And so now we have a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. 200 years go by and the Assyrians swoop in and they conquer the north. And then around 600 BC, the Babylonians take over from the Assyrians and now they begin putting pressure on that southern kingdom. And this is the time in which Jeremiah lives. It doesn't take a lot of imagination for the people of Jerusalem to imagine what might be in store for them. News doesn't travel by email, but they still get the news of what happens when the Babylonians gobble up city after city around them. Babylon is a force that no one seems to be able to stop. What hope do these people have in the face of such overwhelming odds? Well, they're looking to Jeremiah, the prophet, to speak on behalf of God. As Jeremiah prays for an answer, God leads him to the potter's house. Now today, if you want dishes or home accessories, you go down to the pottery barn. But that's not quite the same thing. The shiny dishes on the racks at the pottery barn are in their final state. They've been formed, dried, glazed, and fired. But at the potter's house, Jeremiah sees vessels in many stages of completion. And there on the potter's wheel, Jeremiah sees a vessel that's still being formed. Have you ever seen a potter working at a wheel? Have you ever thrown pottery yourself? Some of you have. Our elder Marty Moore loves to throw pottery. She just told me after the early service that this weekend she's going home and she's planning to spend all day Monday just working on her pottery. It's not as effortless as it looks, though. It takes muscle to push the clay into position. It takes a steady hand to draw it into the shape that you want. And it takes skill to anticipate the limitations of the clay. Sometimes the clay is too wet. Sometimes it's too dry. Sometimes the walls of your cup are too thick. Sometimes the top of your vase is too thin. Sometimes the piece collapses entirely. And sometimes it just doesn't turn out the way you want. It's like getting biscuits to be just the right amount of fluffy. It's an art. A few years ago, I took a beginner's pottery class. This is the third cup that I made. The third cup I made out of the same piece of clay. It's the third cup because the first one started off center and I couldn't get it back right. The second cup, I, I poked a hole in the side and a cup with a hole in it isn't very useful. The teacher encouraged me to start over, but it takes courage to start over. It takes courage because it feels like a failure when you have to start over. And then there's always the fear. You failed once. Who's to say you won't fail again? But I did finally start over. And I'm glad I did because this cup is a cup you can drink out of. It's useful. To have made something less would have been to not lean into my own potential, meager as it was. It would have meant denying the clay of its potential. There are YouTube channels dedicated to the ins and outs of pottery throwing. 
all kinds of details out there on YouTube if you want to learn more about it. One artist has a segment on her favorite kinds of clay. Now, you might not have known, but there are different kinds of clay. Each clay has a different composition. It has different properties. On the topic of clay, this one artist said, some clay has a mind of its own and takes a bit of persuasion to do what you want. However, I find terracotta quite cooperative. I never knew terracotta had a personality. Apparently it does. And some of us are quite cooperative too. Some of us, though, take a bit of persuasion. This artist talked about clay as if it were a person, which is kind of funny, except that God also talks about clay as if it were a person. And maybe to God, all clay has the potential to be people. In our Old Testament reading, God says to Jeremiah, just like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. Can I not do with you just as this potter has done? Now, what did the potter do? The potter saw the project wasn't working and decided to start over. Our creator reserves the right to start over. Now, to, the, to some, this will sound like a threat, that will, God will smash down our comfortable existence and start again. But to others, to those who are struggling, under heavy burdens, to those who are living in fear, to those who are trapped in sin, perhaps to Jeremiah's audience. This is a promise of redemption. As long as the piece is on the potter's wheel, it's not complete. It can be reworked. The story hasn't been written yet. The story hasn't been finished. And just like the potter can rework a piece of clay, God can and will rework us. God can rework our situations. God can rework the plans he has for our lives. In every pottery studio, there's a bucket of water in the corner. You don't notice it at first, but after you're done with your work, you're directed to it. You have to scoop up all of your scraps, all of those leftovers, and you put it in that bucket. Why? Because the clay isn't wasted. That clay goes back into the bucket to be recombined and used again and worked into something new. Even the scraps are redeemed. And if that's true for clay, how much more true is it for us? Our God is endlessly creative. If the clay cannot be made into a vase, God will make it into a bowl. And if it cannot be made into a bowl, then a cup. And if the cup cannot stand, God will make it into a plate. At the potter's wheel, we hear God's voice echo through the centuries. I formed you. I shaped you. I breathed life into you. I called you beloved. And this is what I know about God's love. God loves us too much to leave us lopsided and broken. God will continue to start over, to try again and again until we are made perfect. Being made perfect isn't easy or painless. It's a lifelong process. 
There are times when we will feel like that cup with a hole in one side, not even able to hold water. There are times when you and I will feel like nothing we do is right, like nothing we try is working. And in those moments, we might feel useless. Maybe some of us are feeling useless this morning. In our New Testament reading today, we encounter a person who's been told he's useless. Onesimus, he knows what that feels like. Our reading is from the book of Philemon. It's a letter written by the Apostle Paul to an individual. This is unique in our New Testament. We have letters written from Paul to the early churches, like the letter to the Ephesians and the Galatians, the Thessalonians, the Corinthians, the Romans. But this letter, this letter to Philemon, is a personal appeal to Onesimus' owner, because Onesimus is a slave. Paul has this habit of getting thrown into prison as he's traveled around planting new churches. The locals keep saying that he's disturbing the peace. At some point, Paul connects with Onesimus, and Onesimus becomes part of Paul's support structure while Paul is in prison. Now, we're not exactly sure why Onesimus is separated from Philemon. We don't know what he had done to to, to get him there with Paul, and we don't exactly know what Onesimus did to help Paul out. We only know that what he was doing was helpful, both to Paul and to the growing church. So Paul writes a letter on Onesimus' behalf, petitioning Philemon to free him. And if you you heard the reading, you heard that that Paul doesn't spare the guilt trip. My, My late grandmother, bless her soul, would have been proud of Paul's guilt trip on Philemon. Paul says, as part of his argument, why should Philemon free Onesimus? He says, look, to you, Onesimus was useless. But to me and to God, Onesimus is useful. This is a bit of a joke. Now, you didn't know Paul has a sense of humor, but this is a bit of a joke that Onesimus is useful. It's a play on words. I shouldn't say it's a joke. It's a play on words because the name Onesimus means useful in Greek. So somewhere along the line, Onesimus, Philemon, everyone forgot that Onesimus was useful, could be useful. Paul sends this letter to Philemon via Onesimus. Uh, Onesimus is the, is the carrier of the letter. We also think he might have been the scribe. Imagine the power of that moment when Paul is dictating these words. You are useful to me. You are useful to God. He reminds not only Philemon that Onesimus is useful, he reminds Onesimus himself. Our God is endlessly creative. And our Lord redeems all things. If you are feeling like a lump of clay smashed down, or like your world is collapsing or spinning out of control, take heart. Because it's here in this moment that our God gets his hands muddy. It's here in this moment that our God begins to create anew. What was formerly useless, God will make useful. What was formerly scraps, God will make whole again. From the muck and from the dust, 
Our creator makes beautiful things out of you, out of me, out of us all. May it be so. Amen. This podcast is a ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Marietta. Come join us Sundays at 189 Church Street, Marietta, Georgia, or visit us online at fpcmarietta.org.